0: Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! We rely on your support to produce our independent journalism. Please do your part today by donating at democracynow.org. And thank you so much. This is Democracy Now!
1: The idea, nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. So I'm not about to, nor is anyone else prepared to negotiate with Russia about them staying in Ukraine, keeping any part of Ukraine, etc.,
0: The Washington Post is reporting the Biden administration's ruled out the idea of pushing Ukraine to negotiate with Russia to end the war, even though many U.S. officials believe neither side is capable of winning the war outright. We'll speak to Code Pink's Medea Benjamin and Nicholas Davies, co-authors of the book War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Then we look at how private health insurance companies are making billions of dollars in profit by defrauding the U.S. government and the Medicare Advantage program.
2: I have no doubt that in years to come, The Medicare Advantage program will be held up as the biggest heist, the biggest boondoggle, the biggest waste of taxpayer dollars that we have ever seen. It has represented a huge transfer of taxpayer dollars from middle-class families, middle-class individuals, senior citizens, to corporate executives and their shareholders.
0: Speak with the health insurance whistleblower, Wendell Potter. And we look at a stunning leak of documents from inside the Mexican government.
3: Active members of the Mexican military are working with um, drug cartels and are actually surveilling um, to the same level drug cartels and um, activists all over the country, including feminist groups and the uh, Zapatistas uh, movement.
0: We'll speak with the reporter Luis Chapado. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Russia says it detained eight people linked to Saturday's blast on a key bridge connecting Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. Russia's accused Ukraine's military intelligence service of orchestrating the explosion, though Kyiv has not claimed responsibility. The blast sparked deadly retaliatory attacks across Ukraine, killing at least 20 people. The barrage of missiles came under the command of the Kremlin's newly appointed head of military operations in Ukraine, Sergei Sorokovic. Sorokovic has been dubbed General Armageddon. He oversaw the mass destruction of civilian infrastructure in Syria as part of Russia's war efforts there. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's appealed to members of the G7 to boost Ukraine's air defenses to counter Russian attacks and called for new sanctions on
3: Moscow. For for this new wave of terror, there must be a new wave of
1: accountability for Russia, new sanctions, new forms of political pressure, and new forms of support for Ukraine.
0: The White House said Tuesday President Biden would reevaluate the U.S.'s relationship with Saudi Arabia. Following OPEC's recent announcement, it would cut oil production by two million barrels a day, boosting the cost of gas and providing a boon to Russia amidst its invasion of Ukraine. On Monday, Democratic Senator Bob Enendez called for a freeze on cooperation with Saudi Arabia. Meanwhile, Senator Richard Blumenthal and Congressmember Ro Khanna announced a bill to block all U.S. weapons sales to Saudi Arabia. Congressmember Khanna tweeted their brutal war in Yemen and their fleecing of American consumers at the pump must have consequences, he said. President Biden addressed the issue of C- on CNN last night.
1: When the uh Uh, this House and Senate gets back, they're going to have to uh, there's going to be some consequences for what they've done with Russia.
2: What kind of consequences? Menendez says suspend all arms sales. Is that something you'd consider?
1: I'm not going to get into what I'd consider and what I have in mind.
0: President Biden was speaking to CNN's Jake Tapper. Meanwhile, United Arab Emirates President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan had talks with Vladimir Putin Tuesday in St. Petersburg, Russia. Israel and Lebanon have reached a deal over a long-disputed maritime border. The U.S. broker deal could pave the way for Israel to extract and export gas to Europe. As the continent grapples with a worsening energy crisis amidst Russia's war in Ukraine, the deal still must be signed by the two countries' leaders. In Iran, anti-government protests are in their fourth week, sparked last month by the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, while in the custody of Iran's so-called morality police. On Monday, oil workers went on strike in support of the protests. Meanwhile, the death of 16-year-old Nika Shakarami has ignited more public rage. The girl's family says she disappeared after being chased by security forces for burning her headscarf during a protest and was found 10 days later. In a mortuary. This comes as human rights groups warn of the deadly crackdown on protesters. In Iran's Kurdistan province, one group says at least 32 people in the region have been killed, another 1,500 injured, and thousands arrested. President Biden has called for the resignation of the three beleaguered L.A. city council members who were caught on tape making racist comments. The audio was recorded last year and recently leaked. It featured council members Nuri Martinez, Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon making racist remarks about indigenous and black people in Los Angeles. Nuri Martinez, who referred to the black son of a white city council member as a little monkey, uh, saying it in Spanish, announced yesterday she's taking a leave of absence from her city council seat. She already resigned as city council president. On Tuesday, scores of protesters gathered outside L.A. City Hall and packed the council chamber demanding resignations.
3: If you don't will. Okay. you have two choices. Be on the right side of history or be
0: on the wrong side of history. Thank, you. Thank you. President Biden is in Los Angeles today. In Texas, the police officer who shot 17-year-old Eric Cantu as he was eating in a McDonald's parking lot last week has turned himself in to face aggravated assault charges. James Brennan opened fire on the teen moments after opening the driver's side door, even though Cantu posed no risk, was unarmed and eating with a friend. Cantu remains hospitalized in critical condition. Brennan's arrest comes just days after he was fired from the San Antonio Police Department over the shooting. In more news from Texas, a Baytown police officer was acquitted in a 2019 fatal shooting of Pamela Turner. Juan de la Cruz was on trial for aggravated assault for shooting Turner, a 44-year-old black woman and grandmother, five times in an apartment complex while trying to arrest her in May of 2019. Turner's family says she was having a mental health crisis, that de la Cruz knew Turner had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Turner and Dela Cruz lived in the same apartment complex where Dela Cruz also served as a security guard. Prosecutors in Baltimore have dropped the charges against Adnan Syed, asserting he was wrongly convicted weeks after he was released from prison and had his murder conviction overturned. Syed spent 23 years in prison after being convicted of the 1999 murder of his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee. The case gained national attention in 2014 when it was featured on the hugely popular podcast Serial. In Florida, jurors begin deliberations today to determine the fate of Parkland mass shooter Nicholas Cruz, who killed 17 people at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018. Cruz could face the death penalty. This is lead prosecutor Michael Sanz delivering closing arguments to the jury Tuesday.
1: It took
2: Valentine's Day to do it while school was in session.
1: And you could tell by the evidence and the testimony you've been sitting here and listening to everything, this plan was goal-directed, it was calculated, it was purposeful, and it was a systematic massacre.
0: Florida prosecutor Michael Satz. The Justice Department has asked the Supreme Court to reject Donald Trump's request to allow a special master to review classified documents seized by the FBI from his Mar-a-Lago estate in August. The Department of Justice argued Trump has no plausible claims of ownership over the materials and that a review by the special master could imperil national security. In other news from the Supreme Court, Justices Tuesday declined to review a case that would determine whether a fetus has constitutional rights. The so-called fetal personhood case was brought by a Catholic group and two pregnant women who were seeking to sue on behalf of the women's fetuses. In another case Tuesday, the Supreme Court reversed a lower court ruling which allowed for the counting of undated mail-in ballots in a Pennsylvania election for county judge. The decision will not reverse the results of the 2021 judicial election, which was won by Democrat Zachary Cohen, but could prove significant in future challenges related to undated ballots. The Labor Department has proposed a new rule that could prevent companies like Lyft and Uber from misclassifying workers as independent contractors and deny them essential rights and benefits. The Labor Department said, quote, "...misclassification is a serious issue that denies workers' rights and protections under federal labor standards, promotes wage theft, allows certain employers to gain an unfair advantage over law-abiding businesses, and hurts the economy at large." A massive leak of over four million confidential documents from the Mexican government has revealed Mexico's military sold hand grenades and tactical equipment to drug cartels. Mexico's Ministry of National Defense was targeted by a group of hackers known as Guacamaya. The leak is one of the biggest in Mexico's history. Documents also show Mexican officials monitored journalists using the Israeli Pegasus spyware and evaded cooperation with the investigation into the disappearance of 43 students from Ayotzinapa. The Zapatistas are also one of the most heavily surveilled resistance groups in Mexico. We'll have more on the Guacamaya leaks later in the broadcast. And actor Angela Lansbury has died at the age of 96. She's best known for her role in the TV series Murder, She Wrote, and appeared in the 1962 film The Manchurian Candidate. Angela Lansbury considered herself a proud socialist and came from a political family. Her grandfather, George Lansbury, was leader of the British Labour Party, who led the Poplar Rates Rebellion in 1921, a protest against unequal taxation in one of the poorest areas of London. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co host Juan Gonzalez in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hi, Juan.
4: Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world.
0: Well, the Washington Post is reporting the Biden administration's ruled out the idea of pushing Ukraine to negotiate with Russia to end the war even though many U.S. officials believe neither side is, quote, capable of winning the war outright. This comes as the war in Ukraine appears to be escalating on a number of fronts. On Saturday, a massive explosion damaged a key bridge connecting Russia to, the, to Crimea, which Moscow annexed in 2014. Russian President Vladimir Putin accused Ukraine of committing what he called a terrorist act. Since then, Russian missiles have struck over a dozen Ukrainian cities, including Kyiv and Lviv, killing at least 20 people. On Tuesday night, President Biden was interviewed by Jake Tapper on CNN.
2: Would you be willing to meet with him at the G20?
1: Look, I have no intention of meeting with him. But, uh, for example, if he came to me at the G20 and said, I want to talk about the release of Greiner, I'd meet with him. I mean, it would depend. But I, 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 I can't imagine... Look, we've taken a position. I just did a G7 meeting this morning. The idea, nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. So I'm not about to, nor is anyone else prepared to negotiate with Russia about them staying in Ukraine, keeping any part of Ukraine, etc.
0: Despite Biden's comments, there are growing calls for the U.S. to push for negotiations. On Sunday, General Mike Mullen, the former chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, appeared on ABC this week.
5: It also speaks to the need, I think, to get to the table. I'm a little concerned about the language,
2: uh, which uh, we're about at the top, if President you will. President Biden's language. President Biden's language, we're about at the top of uh, the language scale, if you will. Uh, So, And I think we need to back off that a little bit and do everything we possibly can to try to get to the table to resolve this thing.
0: We're joined now by two guests, Medea Benjamin, co-founder of the peace group Code Pink, and Nicholas J.S. Davies. They are the co-authors of the forthcoming book, War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Medea, let's begin with you in Washington, D.C. I mean, you look at this past week, um, the massive raining down of missiles and drone strikes by the Russian military across Ukraine, all the way into western Ukraine and places like Lviv and the capital, Kyiv. Um, and you see that President—that President Putin is threatening to use a nuclear bomb. Is negotiation possible? What would that look like? And what needs to happen to accomplish that?
6: Negotiations are not only possible, they are absolutely essential. There have been some negotiations on uh, key issues so far, such as the Zaporizhia nuclear plant Uh, such as getting the grain out of Ukraine, uh, such as the prisoner swaps. But there have been no negotiations on the big issues. And uh, Anthony Blinken, the secretary of state, has not met with Lavrov. We just heard in that clip how Biden does not want to talk to Putin. Uh, The only way this war is going to end— is by negotiations. And we have seen the U.S. actually torpedo negotiations, starting from the proposals that the Russians put forward right before the invasion. Uh, which was summarily dismissed by the U.S. And then we saw when the uh, Turkish government was mediating talks at the end of March, early April, how it was the uh, U.K. President Boris Johnson, as well as Secretary of Defense Austin, uh, who torpedoed those negotiations. So, uh, I don't think that um, it is realistic to think that there is going to be a clear victory by the Ukrainians that are going to be able to get back every inch of territory, like they're now saying, including Crimea and all of Donbass. There has to be compromises on both sides. And we, the American public, have to push the White House and our leaders in Congress to call for proactive negotiations now.
4: Uh, Medea, could you be a little more specific about those talks uh, that occurred uh, 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 sponsored by Turkey and, uh, and also Israel, as I understand, in terms of, uh, what was the potential, uh, way forward, uh, to a ceasefire that was torpedoed? Because most Americans are not aware, uh, that early in the war there was a possibility of being able to uh, stop the, fu- the fighting.
6: Well, yes, and we go into great detail in our book, War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict, about exactly what happened there and how the proposal that included neutrality for Ukraine, uh, uh, r- uh removal of Russian troops, uh, how the, uh, Donbass region was really going to be, uh, going back to the Minsk Accords that were, uh, never fulfilled, uh, and there was a, a very positive response from the Ukrainians to the Russian proposals. Uh, and then we saw Boris Johnson coming to meet with Zelensky and saying that the, quote, Collective West uh, was not about to make an agreement uh, with the Russians and was there to support Ukraine in this fight. And then we saw the same kind of message coming from the Secretary of Defense, Austin, who said that the goal was to weaken Russia. So, the goalpost changed and that uh, entire agreement was blown up. And we now see that Zelensky, from once saying that uh, he was accepting neutrality for Ukraine, is now calling for a fast-tracking uh, NATO uh, application for Ukraine— uh, and we see the Russians that have also hardened their views uh, by having these uh, referendum and then trying to annex these four provinces. Uh, so, if, if that agreement had actually moved forward, I think we would have seen an end, an end to this war. It's going to be harder now, uh, but it's still the only way forward. And the the fact that
4: President Biden is still discounting the possibility of talks with uh, uh, Russia, Uh, those of us old enough to remember the Vietnam War understand that the United States, while fighting in the Vietnam War, spent five years at the negotiating table in Paris between 1968 and 1973 in peace talks with the National Liberation Front of Vietnam and the Vietnamese government. So it's not unheard of. That you can have peace talks uh, while a war is still uh, going on. I'm yes, but your Juan, we don't want
6: to we don't want to see these peace talks going on for five years. Uh, we want to mm-hmm. see peace talks that come to an agreement very soon because this war is affecting the entire world. We're seeing a rise in hunger. We're seeing a rise in the use of dirty energy. We're seeing a rise in a hardening of uh, militarists throughout the world and increased expenditures on militarism, a strengthening of NATO. Uh, and we're seeing the real possibility of nuclear war. So we can't afford uh, as a globe to allow this to keep going on for years. Uh, And that's why I think it's so important uh, that the progressive people in this country uh, recognize that there is not one Democrat who voted against the $40 billion package uh, to Ukraine or the more recent $13 billion package, uh, that this issue is actually uh, being questioned by the right, the extreme right in this country. It's being questioned also by Donald Trump, who said that if he had been president, this war wouldn't happen, Uh, he would have probably talked to Putin, which is right. Uh, So uh, we've got to build an opposition movement uh, from the left to say that— Uh, We want the Democrats in Congress uh, to join with any Republicans that will join in this uh, to put pressure on Biden. Right now, uh, the head of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, is having a hard time even getting her Progressive Caucus to sign on to a very moderate letter saying that we should pair the military assistance to Ukraine with a diplomatic push. So it's our job now to really create the momentum for diplomacy.
0: Uh, In April, uh, the U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson met with the Ukrainian President Zelensky. It's been reported Johnson pressured Zelensky to cut off peace negotiations with Russia. This is then-Prime Minister Johnson being interviewed by Bloomberg News back in May.
5: To any such uh, you know proponent of of a deal with Putin, how can you deal? Yeah. How can you deal with a crocodile uh, when it's in the middle of eating your left leg? Uh, you know what's the, what's the negotiation? Uh, and and that is what Putin is doing. And any kind of he will try to freeze the conflict. He will try and call for a ceasefire yeah. while he remains in possession of uh, of substantial parts of, of Ukraine. You, did you say
4: that to Emmanuel Macron? Um,
5: and I, I make that point to all my friends and and colleagues in the in the G7 and at NATO and by the way everybody gets that once once you go through the logic you can see that it's very very difficult to get, a, water to get a negotiated solution
0: I wanted to bring Nicholas Davies into the conversation, co-author of War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. The significance of what Boris Johnson said, and also the attempts of some in the U.S. Congress to push for negotiation, very different from what uh, the former prime minister was saying in Britain, like uh, Congressmember Pramila Jayapal, who drafted a congressional sign-on letter calling on Biden to take steps to end the Ukraine, war, um, using—through several steps, including a negotiated ceasefire and new security agreements with Ukraine. So far, only Congressmember Nidia Velasquez has uh, signed on as a co-sponsor. So if you can talk about the pressure.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, the the effect of what we're seeing uh, is effectively a sort of ratcheting— up of tensions, if if uh, the U.S. and the U.K. are willing to uh, uh, torpedo negotiations when they're happening, but then they're not willing to, uh, you, you know, they're willing to they're willing to go and tell uh, Zelensky and Ukraine what to do when it's a matter of killing negotiations. But now Biden says he's not willing to tell them to restart negotiations. So, so it's pretty clear where that leads, which is to endless war. But the, the truth is that every war ends at the negotiating table. And at the UN General Assembly a couple of weeks ago, uh, world leaders, one after the other, stepped up to remind uh, NATO and Russia and Ukraine of that. And that the, what the UN Charter calls for is for the peaceful resolution of conflicts through diplomacy and negotiation. The UN Charter does, does not say that when a country commits aggression that they should therefore be subjected to an endless war that kills millions of people. That is just might makes right. Um, So uh, actually 66 countries spoke up at the UN General Assembly to restart peace negotiations and ceasefire negotiations as soon as possible. And that included, for instance, the foreign minister of India, who said, I'm being we're being pressured to take sides here. But we have been clear from the very beginning that we are on the side of peace and and this this is what the world is calling for. Those 66 countries uh, include India and China with billions of people. Those 66 countries represent the majority of the world's population. They are mostly from the global south. Their people are already suffering from the shortages of food coming from Ukraine and and Russia. They are facing the prospect of famine And and on top of that, we're now facing a serious danger of nuclear war. Matthew Bunn, who's a nuclear weapons expert at Harvard University, told NPR the other day that he estimates a 10 to 20 percent chance of the use of nuclear weapons uh, in in Ukraine or or over over Ukraine. And and, and that was before the uh, incident on the Kerch Strait Bridge. And, and the retaliatory bombing by Russia. So if this, if both sides just keep escalating, what will Matthew Bunn's estimate of, of the chance of nuclear war be in a few months' time or a year's time? And And, and Joe Biden himself, at a fundraiser at media mogul James Murdoch's house, just chatting with his his financial backers in front of the press, said he does not believe that either side can use a tactical nuclear weapon without it then escalating to Armageddon. And so here we are. We have gone from early April when uh, President Zelensky went on TV and told his people that the goal is peace and the restoration of normal life as soon as possible in our native state. We have gone from, from Zelensky negotiating for peace, a 15-point peace plan that, that really looked very, very promising, to now a rising, a real prospect of the use of nuclear weapons... With the, you know, the danger rising, all the time, this this is just not good enough. This is this is not responsible leadership from Biden or Johnson, and now Truss in the UK. Um, Johnson claimed when he went to Kiev on April the ninth that he was speaking for quote the collective West, but a month later. Emmanuel Macron of France and Olaf Scholz of Germany and uh, Mario Draghi of Italy all put out new calls for new negotiations. You know, they, they seem to have uh, uh, whipped them back into line now. But, but really, the, the world is desperate for peace in Ukraine right now.
4: And Nicholas Davis, if that's the case, why do you see so little in the way of peace movements uh, at the in the in the in the populations of the uh, advanced Western countries at this stage?
5: Well, actually, there are quite quite large and regular uh, uh, peace demonstrations in Berlin and and other other places around Europe. Um, There have been bigger demonstrations in the U.K. than in the U.S. And, I mean, uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, all credit to my co-writer here, Medea, because uh, she has been working so, so hard along with, you know, all of Code Pink and uh, the members of Peace Action, Veterans for Peace... And and other peace organizations in the United States, well, no, and really, but the the public, the public really needs to understand uh, the situation, and um, you know this is why we, we've written this book to try and give people. It's a it's a short book, about two hundred pages, a basic primer to the people to give people a clearer understanding of how we got into this crisis, the role of, of our own government in, in in helping to set the stage for this um, over, the, over the years leading up to it. Uh, you know, through NATO expansion and through um, the events of 2014 in Ukraine and uh, the in- installation of a government there that, according to a Gallup poll in April Twenty fourteen, uh, barely fifty percent of Ukrainians even considered it a legitimate government. Um and 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 that pr- provoked uh, the secession of, of Crimea and a civil war in Donbass, you know, that killed fourteen thousand people by the time uh the Minsk peace the, the Minsk II peace accord was signed a year later. Um and we have we have a lot more about all of this in our book, and we really hope people will will get a copy and read it and join. Uh, and and Nicholas,
4: if I can, uh, I-, I wanted to bring in uh, Medea again. Speaking of uh, peace, uh, Medea, the Nobel Peace Prize Committee recently gave uh, the, the Nobel Prize uh, to a, a group of uh, civil society groups in Belarus, uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine. And in Ukraine, it was the, uh, the, the Center for Civil Liberties. You wrote a, uh, a piece in Common Dreams this week talking about the criticism of that prize by a leading uh, pacifist uh, in Ukraine uh, who criticized the, uh, the Center for Civil Liberties for embracing the agendas of international donors like the State Department and the National Endowment for Democracy. Could you elaborate on that and the, the, the lack of attention in the West to civil liberties violations inside of Ukraine?
6: Well, yes, we were quoting a leading uh, war resistor pacifist inside Ukraine uh, that said that that organization that won the Nobel Peace Prize uh, was following the agenda of the West, uh, was not uh, calling for peace talks, but was actually calling for more weapons. Uh, was uh, uh, not—would not uh, allow for the discussion of violations of human rights on the side of Ukraine, uh, and would not support those uh, who were being beaten up or otherwise abused for not wanting to fight. And so our piece was to say that a Nobel Prize should really be going to those organizations uh, in Russia, uh, Ukraine, Belarus, that are supporting the war resistors. And, of course, we know there are many, many thousands of them uh, inside Russia— who are uh, trying to flee the country and having a hard time finding uh, asylum, especially uh, coming to the United States. Uh, But, Juan, before we go, I just wanted to correct something that Amy said about Pramila Jayapol's letter. Uh, It has uh, 26 members of Congress uh, that have signed it now, uh, and we're still pushing to get more uh, signing it. So I, I just wanted people to be clear uh, that there still is a moment now to be calling your members of Congress and to be pushing them to call for diplomacy.
0: That's very significant, 26 members. Do you feel like there is a push in Congress now, that there is a kind of changing of the tide? I didn't realize that many had signed on. And also, finally, are you concerned about this last week, um, uh, Putin uh, pointing this head of military operations, Sergei Sorovkin, known as the butcher of Syria as General Armageddon and this uh, massive bombing by missiles and drone strikes cross Ukraine in the killings of scores of people.
6: Well, of course, we're concerned about it. Our whole Effort in this uh, writing this book, and we produced a 20 minute video, uh, is to show people the terrible devastation for the Ukrainian people that this war is causing. Uh, And in terms of Congress, uh, we think that 26 members is uh, actually quite pathetic, um, that it should be all members of Congress. Why is it a difficult thing to call for negotiations? This letter isn't even saying uh, cut off the military aid. Uh, So we think this is something that uh, all members. Members of Congress should be supporting, and the fact that they're not is quite astounding and really reflects that we don't have uh, a movement in this country that that is strong enough right now uh, to change the tide. Uh, And that's why we're on a 50 city speaking tour. We're calling on people to invite us to their communities. Uh, We're calling on people to do house parties, read the book, show the video. Uh, This is a a turning point in history. Uh, We've talked about the potential of nuclear war. Uh, Well, we are the ones that are going to have to stop it uh, by getting our elected representatives uh, to reflect our desire uh, for peace talks immediately to end this conflict before we uh, start seeing a nuclear war.
0: Medea Benjamin, we want to thank you and Nicholas Davies, co-authors of the book War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Coming up, we look at how private health insurance companies are making billions in profit by defrauding the U.S. government and the Medicare Advantage program. Then we'll look at a massive leak of documents in Mexico. Stay with us. I told
5: this girl, her name is her like a bunch of rose. If I ever tell you about Maxine, your say I don't know what I know. But murder, she wrote. Riff, riff.
3: Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. Murder, she wrote. Showing him I'll pretty fierce and bad character. tap. Then the kind of living town. Old up, follow me. I'll pretty fierce and bad character. rock tap. Then the kind of living town. Old chakra sent you pretty. you face it pretty, but your character dirty. tell your just a up to murder, fertile. You run to dump pick and also hurry. And when friend, you find your mistake, you Sorry, solve it, solve it, come out cool sick and I she took some wish she jam She don't about the loop like I never money man.
5: Make love with a coolie Chinese white man and Indian The wickedest kind of girl that miss a flyers woke up and I don't know no, no, you no. heard about this third Her name is Lexi Her beauty's like a bunch of roses. <laughs>
0: Murder, She Wrote, by Chakodimus and Pliers, and players, um, named after her popular TV show, star Angela Lansbury, at age 93, said she was thrilled to be part of reggae. Uh, the actress and proud socialist, Angela Lansbury, passed away at the age of 96 on Tuesday. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan González. A major investigation by The New York Times this weekend has found many of the nation's largest health insurance companies have made billions of dollars in profits by exploiting the government's Medicare Advantage program. Eight of the ten largest Medicare Advantage providers have overbilled the government. Six of the ten have been accused of fraud by the government or company whistleblowers blowers. This comes as the number of people enrolled in the privatized system continue to grow. Projections show that by next year, more than half of all Medicare beneficiaries will be enrolled in a private plan. Under the system, health insurers get more government funding for sicker patients, which has given the companies an incentive to make patients appear more ill than they actually are. United Health, Humana, Kaiser and other health insurance companies have been sued for fraud for overdiagnosing patients to bump up profits. The cost to taxpayers is staggering. Overbilling by health insurance costs the government an estimated 12 to 25 billion dollars in 2020. The New York Times reports doctors at Kaiser were offered bottles of champagne and bonuses if they added additional illnesses to the medical records of their patients so the company could make more money. Joining us now is Wendell Potter, former executive for the health insurance companies Cigna and Humana. Potter is now the president of the Center for Health and Democracy and the president of Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation. He's author of the book Deadly Spin. An insurance company insider speaks out on how corporate PR is killing healthcare and deceiving Americans. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Wendell, joining us from Philadelphia. Um, if you can start off by explaining uh, how Medicare Advantage works, many people might say, oh, they thought that was a government program for people 65 and older.
2: It is important to note that it is neither Medicare nor is it an advantage. Uh, It is, I think, will be recognized in years to come as probably the biggest heist, the biggest fraud, the biggest uh, transfer of wealth from taxpayers, middle-income, low-income Americans, from them to corporate executives and shareholders. It is a plan that has been in the works uh, or has been around for about 20 years it was uh, born during the George W. Bush administration when Republicans controlled Congress, and they were determined to uh, start privatizing the Medicare program. And as you noted, uh, now, 20 years later, is to the point that almost half, and in some uh, cities and districts, uh, well more than half already are enrolled in this program. It is a private program. It is operated by private insurance companies, most of them are for-profit. In fact, this year, over 80% of the enrollment in these plans uh, were people enrolling in for-profit plans. Uh, they're lured into these plans with deceptive advertising. Uh, the plans feature things that are common in private plans, but not in traditional Medicare, such as prior authorization. Doctors have to get permission, in many cases, from uh, the insurance company before they can treat their patients. Uh, inadequate networks, particularly as people get older and sicker, and very, very high out-of-pocket cost if uh, if people uh, knowingly or inadvertently go out of network. So it is a a, a a program that absolutely should be called disadvantage.
4: And Wendell Potter, it's to me it's amazing the the health care system in this country right now. When you go to a general practitioner, they they basically are constantly referring you to specialists who always then want to do more tests, and it's the testing process of all of these specialists that drive up these costs. Uh, and as you say on television almost every single night there are ads trying to lure senior citizens uh into these uh medicare advantage uh, uh programs this privatization uh of medicare uh, why isn't the government exercising more regulation or control over these uh this process especially the one that, that as the times reported piling on uh, uh imagined or, or 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 badly uh uh badly documented illnesses.
2: Well, it's not because Congress has never seen this kind of information before. Uh, many uh, governmental organizations and uh, 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 like the uh, OIG, uh, the GAO, MedPAC, which, is, which advises uh, Congress on, on Medicare issues and payment issues. And uh, the Department of Justice, which has intervened in a number of these whistleblower lawsuits against these companies, Uh, that's been uh, something that's been going on for a long time. And there also, by the way, have been other important journalists who've taken this on and done this investigation, like Fred Schulte at the Kaiser Health News, Trudy Lieberman at the Center for Health uh, Journalism. Uh, So they've known this, but they've turned a blind eye in many cases because of the massive amounts of our money that these big corporations are spending. To lobby Congress, uh, to uh, uh, throw money into their campaigns for re-election, and to uh, and to propaganda campaigns and very very misleading uh, uh, advertising, as as you just mentioned. Open enrollment will begin in just a few weeks uh, for uh, uh, Medicare eligible beneficiaries, and you will see uh, just a, a barrage, a constant barrage of ads uh from these companies uh that uh are uh it, they do not tell the truth they leave out important details like i some that i mentioned earlier uh so that's how they pull it off uh and regulatory capture the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has been uh, uh, really asleep at the will. Congress actually has given CMS more authority uh, to crack down on this fraudulent program, but they've just turned a blind eye. That is a classic example of uh, regulatory capture.
0: What, what is regulatory capture, Wendell?
2: What that means is that uh, the uh, companies, the corporations that uh, – Administra- administrative uh, offices like uh, CMS, the Center for Medicare Services the health, uh, and Health and Human Services, they have such influence over these uh, uh, these agencies uh, that they don't act on behalf of of Americans they act on behalf uh, of corporations to protect their profits. Uh, one of the uh, administrators of CMS uh, some years ago uh, went straight from that job into uh, Uh, The uh, insurance industry, as head of America's health insurance plans, which is called AHIP, uh, they also have uh, staffed—former members of Congress have staffed front groups uh, for the industry. There's one called the Better Medicare Alliance. Uh, a former uh, Pennsylvania congresswoman, a Democrat, was the first to head that up. So that's how it happens. Uh, there's this revolving door uh, between private industry and government uh, and uh, a massive, again, massive amounts of money that uh, fund all this lobbying uh, and, uh, and propaganda.
4: And Wendell Potter, you had your own mother disenrolled from the Medicare Advantage plan over a decade ago. Why did that happen? And uh, what was the impact on her health as a result?
2: This is something that every senior should know. Uh, These companies go after people when they're uh, younger and healthier. Uh, with kind of a siren call that uh, you can enroll in these plans for no money. Uh, you can actually get money put back into your Social Security account, as we hear from uh, people like Joe Namath and William Shatner and Jimmy J.J. Walker. Uh, but the truth is, as you get older and sicker, then you become aware of just the disadvantages of this program. Uh, my mother broke her hip. She needed to have uh, rehab and skilled nursing uh, services for a while, uh, when we looked at what was available to her in the provider network, it was incredibly inadequate. Uh, so I worked with my mom to uh, get her out of a Medicare Advantage uh, plan. It was one that was operated by United Healthcare uh, and they market in conjunction with AARP, uh, which is an outrage in my view. Uh, but uh, uh, she uh, but, but there's a problem there because when you do that and you're older, uh, and you wait, you know, years uh, after being becoming eligible for Medicare. Uh, it's harder and more expensive to get a Medicare supplement policy to help cover your out of pockets. Uh, So we did that knowing that we had to pay a lot of money, but at least she was able to get the care that she needed at a quality uh, facility where she got the rehab and skilled nursing care that she needed, uh, which she would not have gotten had she stayed in that Medicare Advantage program. I'm confident my mom lived uh, uh, additional years because of what we were able to do.
0: Mm. Wendell Potter, um, finally, what should Congress do to prevent this kind of fraud? And we're moving into the midterm elections. There is almost no discussion of Medicare for all in the corporate media. I don't know if it's because every five or six minutes they break for a commercial for some drug company, uh, for some new illness that has been defined. Um, but what has to happen right now?
2: Well, there are some important bills that have been introduced and some I trust will be introduced before too long. Uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter from California has introduced an important bill that would uh, uh, force the government uh, uh, and force these plans to be more forthcoming, more transparent, to provide information and data that they're just withholding from from the government. Uh, uh, It should not even be called Medicare Advantage. Like I said earlier, it's not Medicare nor is it an Advantage. So I think there should be legislation that should bar these companies from even using the name Medicare. Uh, There are some good members of Congress who uh, understand this. Uh, Congresswoman Porter, Congressman Mark Pocan, Uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, 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 Jan Schakowsky, they're all aware of this. And they, unfortunately, are in the minority, even among Democrats. But I think that New York Times story and some of the other things that advocates are beginning to do uh, will wake them up and force them to get on the stick and do something. Uh, Congresswoman Jayapal has been the lead sponsor, as you may know, of uh, of Medicare for all bill. Uh, She gets it. Others get it, too. Uh, but um, uh, this is going to be an important step along the way. There's going to be a big, uh, uh, frankly, uh, effort by industry to say we should have Medicare advantage for all, which would be the greatest travesty I think that this country could ever experience.
0: Wendell Potter, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll link to that New York Times expose. Wendell Potter is former executive for health insurance companies Cigna and Humana, now serving as president of the Center for Health and Democracy and the president of Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation. Next up, a massive leak of over four million confidential documents from the Mexican government have revealed Mexico's military sold hand grenades and tactical equipment to drug cartels and heavily survived failed the Zapatistas. Stay with us. The singer Man Laferte, not known for their music reviews, the Mexican army called the musician a danger due to her songs and targeted her for surveillance, as revealed in the Guacamaya leaks. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan González. As we look at those leaks, a massive leak of over 4 million confidential documents from the Mexican government has revealed Mexico's military sold hand grenades and tactical equipment to drug cartels. Mexico's Ministry of National Defense was targeted by a group of hackers known as Guacamaya. The leak is one of the biggest in Mexico's history. Documents also show Mexican officials monitored journalists using the Israeli Pegasus spyware and evaded cooperation with the investigation into the disappearance of the 43 students from Ayotzinapa. The leak also shows the Zapatistas are one of the most heavily surveilled resistance groups in Mexico. For more, we go to El Paso, Texas, to reporter Luis Chapado, whose new piece for Vice is headlined, Leaked Emails Show Mexico's Military Sold Grenades to Cartels. Luis, welcome to Democracy Now! Lay out what you found. If you could start again, we just didn't have your microphone up. We don't hear you. Make sure you're off mute. Don't hear you. Can you? Um, sorry, we don't hear you. Somehow, are you on mute? Oh, I think I hear you now. Oh,
3: All okay. right. Great. Um Amy and Juan have, uh, thank you for having me first of all and um, yeah, I mean these uh, massive leaking of documents revealed something that that we really um, suspected was happening, right with which was this uh, massive participation of the mexican Mexican military with drug cartels, but we just didn't really know to what extent they were um, actively participating with drug cartels. Um, these uh, data leaking. Uh, really showed that they were not only selling grenades to truck cartels, but also providing them with tactical equipment and maybe um, like the most uh, dangerous part of these uh, these um, link between Mexican military and the cartels was the surveillance they were having on journalists and information they were passing along, and but also on uh, Mexican uh, government officials. Um, there was a conversation leaked where a Mexican military member uh, flags um, a call he oversaw where this cartel member is asking a Mexican official um, inside the military to track down a target inside uh, one of the Mexican political parties to have a hit on him.
4: And Luis, what's been the response of President Lopez Obrador to these revelations, especially given the fact that he, his administration has come to rely increasingly on the Mexican military?
3: I mean, to no surprise, he's downplaying the whole uh, leaking of documents. He has been saying that there's that nothing new inside um, these uh, four million emails that came to light about two weeks ago. Um, he said that the most important thing in any case inside those documents was uh, details about his health that um, is is downgrading and apparently he's having um, heart issues. But honestly, to to my opinion. That's the least of the uh, problems revealed inside these uh, documents.
4: And and what were what were some of the most surprising things to you uh, uh, from the revelations?
3: I think two things. First of all, the um, obvious revelation that the Mexican military is vulnerable to a group of hackers that literally just used a back door to enter the um, whole server of emails and gather information within uh, very few days that they had access to. So that, that first of all, that's very revealing and very dangerous because we're talking about probably the most um, important institution in Mexico, which is the Serena, the Mexican um, Ministry of uh, Defense. Um, And second of all, the uh, extent of surveillance the Mexican military is having on journalists, um, on activists, and of different dissident groups to the local, to the current administration, like feminist groups and um, the Zapatistas movement.
0: Uh, Mexico is the worst place on Earth uh, for journalist deaths. Um, the use of the Israeli Pegasus spyware to monitor journalists, can you talk about that? And also what you learned about the Mexican government's lack of cooperation into the murder of the 43 students at Ayotzinapa.
3: Yes, um, definitely. Also, that's uh, that's revealing from inside these uh, data leak uh, leaking, um, the participation of Mexican officials and how they tried to hide their involvement in the killing of these 43 students in Ayotinapa. Um That's I mean that's something that we all knew from uh, journalist investigations. Um, that also led to the other issue that uh, the Mexican military was was really bailing uh, the uh, Mexican prize when it Came to investigating the uh, killings of 43 uh, students in Ayotzinapa, um, as you, as you and your public might know, Mexico is really going um, down, and it's a really, I mean, it's one of the worst places to actually be a journalist, and that is not only because of the threat of cartels, but also to the involvement of the Mexican government working with the cartels, passing along information to criminal organizations, um, but also surveilling and intimidating. Journalists uh, them, themselves. I mean, from from the official uh, government.
4: And Luis, uh, in, some, in a related story, uh, Mexico has filed another lawsuit against five U.S. based firearm dealers, all of them in Arizona, who, that are they claim are responsible for fueling the flow of illegal weapons and a surge in murders in Mexico. Could you talk about that lawsuit and uh, and the, and the one that preceded it?
3: Definitely. So this is the uh, second attempt by Mexican government to um, sue first uh, the US government to no avail, and then um, some private companies selling or allegedly selling guns to drug cartels. Um, The first attempt to do this um, was thrown down by a US federal judge. Uh, and this is the second attempt, and the Mexican government is now going after just a few uh, group, uh, a few companies, uh, particularly in Arizona, where most of the guns used by Mexican truckers cartels are coming from. These sue. So um, to my understanding, has very little opportunities to actually go through as this as the first one. Um, first of all, because the um, U.S. gun manufacturers have a huge um, set of resources or legal resources to fight against a Sioux like this one. And second of all, because I think the um, the target or the goal to these Sioux um, is uh, actually to just pay attention to what the U.S. manufacturers are doing, and not only with the responsibility of the U.S. government in all the violence uh, currently happening in Mexico, but also to bring light to the responsibility on private companies on this issue. Um, documents and investigations that I've um, seen show that 80% of the um, guns uh, traced back to the U.S. are coming from shops in Um, Arizona, which is a major corridor for most of the um, top cartels in Mexico, like the Sinaloa Cartel and the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generacion. Um, uh, We have to leave it there,
0: Luis, but we're going to continue our conversation in a post-show. Also, you followed a bus from El Paso of migrants sent to New York. We want to talk about that. And we'll do an interview in Spanish, and we will post it online. By the way, on our website, you can also see our headlines, read them, and listen to them in Spanish at democracynow.org. Luis Chaparro, we want to thank you so much for your participation. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan González. Stay safe.